Welcome everybody to the fifth episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. This is a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna and I am here with my co-host Jaron. Hi. Today we'll be talking about the different corona mRNA vaccines and the science behind it. A super interesting subject, so let's start. Okay, so these corona vaccines, and then specifically the mRNA ones from Pfizer and Moderna, they're super interesting, and it has been, uh, I guess, a bit impossible to not have heard anything about them, since they are big in the news right now, and have been for a while, of course. But the science behind it is really interesting, uh, and I have read a bit about it, but not really into detail yet, so I'm really interested in doing that. What about you? Yeah, I've also, I think I've read less than you about it, but quite interested in the overall technique and the possibilities for it, especially if you consider how fast it happened compared to what it would normally take, quote unquote, a normal vaccine, uh, the normal vaccine vaccination procedure before developing a vaccine. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I do think we need two big disclaimers first, though. The first one is uh, that we're not immunologists. So uh, I am way more interested, for example, the, the lipid nanoparticles than about the whole immunology part of it. I know a little, of course, because I do some work on macrophages, but I guess we'll be more focused on the techniques behind the mRNA and uh, the lipid nanoparticles and that part than on really the immunology response in the body. Because yes. that's just not my expertise to be honest indeed as someone who studies di- type 2 diabetes i also cannot provide much context for <laughs> immunology yeah well i mean i can read a, a paper and then say that it's a good paper and that they did a mm. good job but to really explain that that goes a bit far for me yeah same for me and then the second big um disclaimer should be that we as scientists are really pro vaccination uh, of course, it's always important with every vaccine to have it properly tested and to mm. make sure it's safe. But if you're here as a complete anti-vaxxer looking for proof why the vaccines are not good for you, then this is not the right space for you. We support herd immunity. <laughs> we support herd immunity, indeed. Okay, so um, let's uh, dive into this research, I guess. So, I have prepared a bit about this vaccine. 30-minute presentation? 30-minute presentation, oh, 33 slides. So, the research was super interesting, uh, and I've learned a lot from it. Uh, I know you've also read a bit about it, but maybe a bit less than me about mm-hmm. the lipid nanoparticles, because, of course, lipids, that's totally my thing. So, I got super enthusiastic about this whole thing, maybe a bit too much, but let's see how far we get. Yes, I will let you start off your monologue and then I will uh, interject with (laughs) not-so-clever questions. Well, I mean, it's good if you ask me questions because then then I will be able to explain things clearly. Okay, so um, I want to talk about a couple of things about the different components of the vaccines and how each of these components was developed and what they do and what they mean. A little bit about the results of the clinical trials 
because that's of course important. And then in the end, a bit about what has been happening now and our opinions about it, of course. Although I don't know if our opinions matter that much in this case. Maybe not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there are two mRNA vaccines that uh, are out right now. I know that there are some more in the pipeworks actually, but these are the two that are available right now. And that's the Pfizer Biotech N. And it's actually called in the literature BNT16B2. So if you want to read anything about it, that's the proper name of it. And then you have the Moderna vaccine, and that's called mRNA1273. Such fancy names. Such fancy names. But, I mean, a bit code names in the literature, because mm. I guess not everybody will be able to find that. Compound X would have done just as well. <laughs> well, there's also a BNT16B1, so... Um, yeah, hmm. we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so these mRNA vaccines were quite new, but they had been working on that for quite a long time. And there were actually already uh, cancer mRNA vaccines in the in the works in a clinical phase one trial. So they did, they were already quite far along with it. It wasn't completely new, but it is the first time that a vaccine with this actually got onto the market. And was that the case for both Pfizer and Moderna that they were working on it? Or... Like, I'm not sure which one had the clinical trials already ongoing. I think actually both already. Mm. They had been working on this for a long time of them both. Mm. And uh, I think Moderna a little bit longer than Pfizer, but it wasn't something that they just pulled out of their sleeves and hoppa, let's do this. That sounds something like something people should do during a pandemic. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Um, so the whole idea of these, these vaccines, of course, is that you have mRNA, which encodes for a protein, in this case the spike protein. Uh, you try to get it into the cell so that the cell can produce your protein that then gets presented to the immune system and then you get this immune response. And a very b- uh, big benefit of uh, this vaccine is that you can really adapt the mRNA that you put in your vaccine really easily. And that it's also not that difficult to produce and that's also why they were one of the first to... Um, get ready and get through their test and everything. Um, So this mRNA uh, gets packaged into these lipid nanoparticles, as I've mentioned before. But what what is in this vaccine, actually? So you have the mRNA itself, you have the lipids that make up the lipid nanoparticles, you have some salts, some sugar, and the Moderna vaccine also has some acid stabilizer things. So we'll go slowly through the different components that are in these vaccines. First one is the mRNA. And for Moderna, they have uh, uh, mRNA that encodes for the complete spike protein, this mRNA-1273 that I've mentioned before. Pfizer actually tested two different ones. Uh, And I think they only tested clinical phase one with both. And then in the end, they chose this B2 one. Um, And they tested two, one for the complete spike protein and one for only the receptor binding domain of the protein. So the part that really binds to the ACE receptor which is, of course, the most important part. And they tested both. They both seem to work fine in the, getting an immune response, but they found this B2 version, so that's only the um, binding domain of the spike protein, to have a little bit less side effects in elderly people. People, And since they thought, well, this is the major group that we will have to protect, they went with the, the, the one that only has this binding domain. Now, in hindsight, this makes makes the Moderna maybe a tiny bit better against different variants of the of the um, virus. 
because you make antibodies against all different parts of the spike protein instead of just one this one domain really but on the other hand this Pfizer uh, with the ACE binding domain really seems to work well for a lot of variants probably because it's a really important domain of the of the protein and M4 yeah that it virus. can't easily mutate away from yeah you. so so far Pfizer doesn't have any problems with it yet but maybe Moderna might have an advantage there since you have this whole spike protein in there but again, Pfizer tested both, and uh, they went uh, they went for this one. Okay, now this mRNA is modified a bit, incorporating a one methyl pseudoduridine, <laughs> duridine, uh, and this is just to dampen the immune response of just the the naked mRNA, and also increase the translation a bit. Um, and then afterwards, the mRNA gets degraded anyway in the cell. So that's really all that uh, you need to know about the mRNA part of this vaccine. But these mRNAs are then packaged into these lipid nanoparticles. And this is the part where I get really excited about. So these lipid nanoparticles, they have been working on this different people for three decades already. So that's a lot longer than what I knew about, at least. And it all started with liposomes. And liposomes are just a basic phospholipid layer where you then can package thing in, things in there, like drugs and... DNA, mRNA, uh, and people thought that this would be a good way to target it to cells and maybe even make it cell type specific if you use different receptors to get it then into the cell. So that's how it started, but in the three decades since, they have found that it's a lot more difficult than what they thought. But they were really interested in it already um, for a long time. And in 2010, people were actually really interested because they thought it could be really uh, helpful for S-urinate delivery into cells as a potential treatment where if people make proteins that aren't good for them, you can knock them down. And then, um, However, that turned out to be quite difficult. And then there was a bit of a dip in the interest in the lipid nanoparticles. But now, of course, it's super in again and everybody wants to get in on it. There are a lot of new companies trying to investigate this. Um, and this was all because of the mRNA vaccines. Uh, but also, you can also um, get DNA in there, and it would also be a really good way to get CRISPR into cells in the body. So that's why there are a lot of companies now all of a sudden interested in it again. Um, and these lipid nanoparticles are the most successful if they imitate LDL particles, and they actually use the LDL receptor to get into the cell. Now, LDL receptor, I have a paper on that, so, I mean... Hashtag humble. <laughs> well... But this is really a thing that interested, uh, interests me. So we'll be talking a bit more about these lipid nanoparticles. Actually, also our logo for this episode actually shows you uh, what lipid nanoparticles looks like. So uh, you can also get this picture in front of you while I explain a bit more about it so that you can see that where the different um, lipids are located. So first, you have ionizable lipids. They, those are really important because they have a positive charge. And the mRNA is negatively charged, so the ionizable lipids surround the mRNA and balance out this charge um, in total. Then you have some packed lipids, which surround the whole vesicle. And these are really important to stabilize the vesicle, or the nanoparticle in this case. And um, yeah, they, they are really important for stability. Then you have some base, basic phospholipids. Uh, and some cholesterol for structure of the lipid nanoparticle. So you need this, these lipid nanoparticles to protect the mRNA from the enzymes in your bloodstream and from 
also surrounding your cells because that's also where they are. And you also don't want any naked mRNA um, in your bloodstream because it's going to have really bad side effects and even um, activate your immune system. By but itself. it could also be that it's not very effective then at, that, at the same time, right? Because it just gets degraded very quickly. Well, or, and that actually brings us to the second part where you need these lipid nanoparticles. Yeah. You need to get it into the cell, otherwise it does nothing. Yeah. So these lipid nanoparticles help getting it into the cell uh, by endocytosis, and then it binds to a receptor like the LDL receptor, and then it, can, it gets taken up with endocytosis, and then you have your lipid nanoparticle in the endosome. And then these lipid nanoparticles have the very important role of making the mRNA escape from the endosome without the mRNA getting degraded and ended up ending up in the lysosome. So that's the third really important part of what these uh, lipid nanoparticles do. And to get out of the endosome, you actually need these ionizable lipids because they are positively charged and they're really good at breaking up membranes. That's actually what they what they do. But there were two really big problems with these ionizable lipids when they're trying to develop these lipid nanoparticles. The first one is that they don't exist in, in nature, and that's probably because they're super toxic, because this breaking up of your membranes is, of course, not good in an uncontrolled environment. So what they came up with as a solution already in the 2000s was lipids that are positively charged under high pH, for example, in your endosomes, lysosomes, but neutral in blood. So they don't do any damage normally, but if they get into a high pH situations like endosomes, lysosomes, then they have this positive charge, they break up your endosomes, and then your mRNA can escape from your endosomes. However, finding the right ionizable lipid um, was and is still a bit difficult because if it were not doesn't work like really optimally, you still have a lot of toxicity or it just doesn't work as well. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers, just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Now, they also, during the testing of this whole this whole 30 years, basically, uh, they, they had some problems with uh, that the particles, the lipid nanoparticles, didn't degrade fast enough, and then you got an immune response. And that is probably because of the stabilizing pack proteins. So that's the next part we'll talk about. 
die spec proteins uh, of uh, pack pegylated lipids, pack lipids, are um, lipids with a polyethylene glycol strand attached to the lipid head. So you have your lipid with your your, your protein, your pack protein attached to it, and they're really important for the particle size during formulation. They prevent uh, aggregating and storage in the cell, and they also shield your particle from the immune system. However, um, there are also some negatives. So they can prevent receptor binding, because of course you want your lipid particle to bind to a receptor to get take it up. And this can be prevented if you have like a fully coated lipid particle with these packed proteins of packed strands. And they also extend the particle's lifespan, which is on the one hand something you want, because you don't want them to, to, to degrade before you even get them in the body. But on the other hand, you also don't want them to stick around too long because then your immune system has time to react and they might trigger an allergic response in some people. So this could also uh, be something that's happening in some of the side effects with this anaphylactic response that they see in a very, very tiny amount of people uh, with these vaccines. Okay, so back to these ionizable lipids that are so super important. Um they were really, really, really difficult to get. So there was a company in 2010 that was working on uh, on these uh, ionizable lipids and they tested, I think, 300 in vitro on cells mm. and then 50 seemed to do something positive. Then they tried it into mice and only one worked. Well, that narrows it down. Yeah, that narrows it down a lot. But it turned out that um, any in vitro screening just doesn't work. So at some point they stopped testing it into cells and they immediately started testing mice mm-hmm. because there was uh, some to- toxicity of these lipids and there were just a lot of effects that you couldn't see. So this made screening for these just a complete mm. disaster, basically. But then in 2010 they found one, the MC3, uh, and that ionized lipids worked quite well to get azeronase into cells. And they tested in mice and then in humans. And then the first lipid particle delivered drug was approved in 2018. Which is, I mean, a few years ago, but not that long ago. That's ancient. Okay, okay. In corona times, <laughs> that, that feels like 10 years ago. But what is really important to know about this first lipid particle delivered drug was that it's, it's for a very rare disease. And it requires an 18-minute infusion for, ev- for every three weeks and pre-treatment with multiple anti-inflammatory drugs to make sure that people didn't respond to the nanoparticle itself. And that made definitely this company completely give up on the lipid nanoparticles as a delivery system for the azeronase. So they already had discovered in 2010, and by the time that in 2018 their, their drug was approved and they got through all these clinical trials, they were really done with it. And so were a lot more people. They were they they just were too difficult to figure out basically. So uh, that's really interesting that this technique that we're now also hyped about really went through this really difficult time. So then you had BioNTech, which was uh, the, uh, started in 2018 and Moderna in 2010. They got into this lipid particles because they had some mRNA-based treatments that they wanted to get into bodies so that they would produce this protein and then help us therapeutic or as a vaccine. So they were interested in it again. However, they found that this MC3 
ionized polypid that this other company found did not work for uh, mRNA. It did work for ZRNA, but it didn't work for mRNA. And this again goes to show that for every different type drug, or in this case mRNA is ZRNA, you need a different lipinator particle and you need to optimize the whole thing again. So it's a lot of work and there was a lot of optimizing, optimizing, optimizing. But they said that this would still be very interesting because as soon as you get a lipinator particle that can get your drug to a certain organ, you can adapt the contents really easily. So different mRNA, different SERNAs, different treatments. So there might be a lot of work going into this lipinator particle at first, but if it works, it works, and then you're golden, basically. But is the goal with lipinator particle to sort of, again, like inject it just in the muscle, and then like with the um, mRNA vaccines that it gets taken up by the muscle, and then... No, no, they're actually really effective at, for example, getting into the liver also, Mm. because there's a lot of LDL receptor in the liver, and then if you just put it into the bloodstream like they did with this zero-RNA treatment, mm-hmm. it gets taken up by the liver and then you get your knockdown there, for example. Yeah. So uh, there's also people now working on aerosolized versions of it to target the lungs. Mm-hmm. And you have now this injectable version. Okay. But is the question to get it to a specific organ just to essentially develop yeah, proteins or receptors on the lipid nanoparticle itself that can also target... Or that something. was the original idea. They are also trying now to swap out the lipids and make it in that way target a bit better. Mm. But there are some lipids, I guess, you can't really change because you need those for the overall structure of the lipid nanoparticle, I guess, or not? Well, no. They're actually trying now also different versions of cholesterol to mm. make it more stable. And they're also trying to change out the um, helper, basic helper lipids mm. uh, to make it maybe target different organs or mm. cell types or whatever. Uh, but also these pack lipids are different between the different corona vaccines. Mm. So you basically, every time from scratch, need to build this whole lipid particle from a set of lipids that you think will work and optimize, 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 and then mm. you get to something. So also these ionizable lipids between the two different vaccines are not the same. Uh, Pfizer Biotech found one that's called ALC. O- 0315 and Moderna has one that is called SM102 and they are actually very very similar if you look at the structure mm-hmm. so it's really I guess surprising and nice that they sort of found the same thing that works uh, however Moderna has uh, one that is a bit more stable which means that they are a bit more uh, capable of working in different temperatures than just the minus 80. Yep. So the Pfizer one really needs to be kept at minus 80 and the Moderna is just a bit more stable at uh, at uh, normal temperatures for a bit longer or fridge temperatures a bit longer. Fridge slash freezing, I guess. No, yeah. Not local room temperatures. Mm, no. Mm. So in that case, Moderna also has a little bit of a benefit. But it also has some negatives and we'll get to that later. Interesting enough, though, both these complete lipid particles by Moderna and Pfizer weren't actually made to be injected into the muscle. They were made to target the liver because they were interested in these other treatments uh, that they wanted to get into the liver. But then they, we were sort of hit with this pandemic and they decided to try it for a vaccine. And miraculously, it actually worked. However, they still think that if they make a new lipid particle and they can actually optimize it for entry into the muscle cells and uh, to work a bit better, 
that perhaps they can even make these vaccines in lower doses and still work really nicely. So they think that there's still some optimizing possible in this. Mm. However, they didn't have time for this now, of course. And it might also make the vaccines easier to make if you need less per person, of course. So they're still developing also while they're already um, distributing this. Now, a lot of new companies are being started up to look into these uh, lipid nanoparticles uh, because people think they can be used for mRNA vaccines, of course, mRNA therapy, DNA gene target therapies, um, CRISPR editing therapies. There are a lot of companies getting into this now. And they're also, as I said, testing these um, these different alternative versions of cholesterol to uh, make them perhaps more easily delivered. And they're swapping out this, uh, this helper phospholipids to maybe target different organs. Um, but for now, they're only usable in liver muscle and they're working now on the lungs. Okay, back to the vaccines. So the Pfizer vaccines... Uh, has four different lipids. It has these ALC3015 ionizable lipids that we talked about. It has a, a, a cholesterol, normal cholesterol. It has a PEC lipid that I'm not going to tell the whole name of because that's just very difficult. And it has uh, phosph- phosphocholine, uh, a type of phosphocholine as a basic helper lipid. The Moderna is a tiny bit different. It has this SM102 as a as an ionizable lipid. It also has cholesterol like the Pfizer one has. And it also has a PAC lipid. It's called PAC2000 DMG. Uh, and it has uh, also a phosphocholine kind as a, a helper lipid. So they're really not that different except for the ionizable lipids, which is a bit more stable in Moderna. But if you look at the structure, it's really, really not that different. Then the other ingredients of this vaccine, uh, like I said, salt is also in there. Um, and for Pfizer, it has uh, four different salts and they might sound a bit scary for the, the average person. But honestly, it's just PBS. It's literal PBS that they use to make the, the pH of your injection the same as your body. Because of course, you don't want to inject something acidic into your body because that's not nice. The Moderna also uh, also has a salt, but only one, sodium acetate. And because only has one, it also has some uh, acids in there, acidic acid and some uh, an acid stabilizer called trometamine. Trometamine. <laughs> Alrighty. Might sound a bit scary, but again, it's only to balance the pH out so that you don't inject something that your shell, your body doesn't like into your into your. Uh, body, so you want to have the same pH as that your body is, of course. Then there's also sugar in there, and it's just a bit of su- sucrose, so very basic. Not even glucose. No, it's not glucose. It's it's two glucose molecules together, right? Uh, it's sucrose. Pretty sure. You should know. <laughs> no, I should. <laughs> okay, well, it's just a bit of basic su- uh, sucrose, and it's just to help the molecules maintain their shape during freezing and defreezing, and so also not a very scary ingredient. And that's actually it. So the nice thing about these vaccines is that they need no preservatives. There's no timorosal, which some anti-vaxxers say is very harmful in some vaccines because it contains mercury and then they say this causes autism and blah, blah, blah. Um, While that hasn't been proven at all, a lot of people are now sort of boycotting this timorosal. But these mRNA vaccines don't need them. And they also need nothing to boost an immune response. So a lot of traditional vaccines 
use something to boost an immune response so that if you get a protein injected into you, that you then make an immune response to that protein. Mm. But since this um, mRNA vaccine uses your own cells to make the protein and sort of induces a more natural immune response, you don't need anything to boost an immune response. Now, of course, there are also no microchips in there. I just Take wanted that, to Bill Gates. <laughs> just wanted to put that out there. Okay, so I then mean, the, how would that even work though? You can't put like a microchip in like a nanoparticle. Just size-wise, that wouldn't work. That no, no, no. And if you need the type of injections that you need, for example, to get a microchip into a dog, that you would notice. Yeah, you would notice. You that. would notice. <laughs> Bill Gates must have some real technology going on there. Yeah, right? yeah. No. Mm. Actually, these, these nanoparticles are no bigger than the, the original virus itself. So mm. they're super tiny. And... Nope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then the clinical trials. So this was all just a bit about talking about how they developed this, uh, these vaccines and what is in them. And the clinical trials. As I said, Pfizer tested two of them, the B2 and the B1. And the B1 was the full spike protein and the B2 was only part of it. And they both worked quite well. Uh, and they already showed that the first shot sh- uh, gave some innate immune response, but the second shot really, really stimulated the innate resmo- immune mm-hmm. response a lot more and also activated the B and the T cells. Uh, and also the second shot shows a bit more side effects because it's just a stronger response of your immune system. Now, again, I'm not an immunologist, so I'm not going to go into... Too much detail but about this. But side effects being, for example, like a sore arm or something like yes. that. Not necessarily like, Headache, you know, something a bit of a fever, yeah. that type of side effects. Yeah. So Pfizer tested two different amounts, 30 microgram and 100 microgram. And they showed that 30 was actually enough to already, um, to already have an immune response. And indeed, these side effects were a bit of pain in the arm, a bit of swelling, headache, a bit of fever, fatigue. Uh, they actually show that younger people have a bit more side effect. And then with younger people, I mean people below 55, because that's a cutoff that they made in um, in their research. And they were having a bit more side effect than older people. Um, and these vaccines were 95% uh, 95% effective in preventing COVID cases. And they were 100% effective in preventing people going into the hospital with severe COVID. So that was a really, really, really nice positive response. Um, they had 30,000 participants and 196 COVID cases in the placebo group. And then 95% less in the, in the treatment group. So nine, actually. Uh, they also showed that this second dose of the Pfizer uh, vaccine really, really gives more protection. Because the vaccine with only one dose was only 52% effective. And they measured that with the amount of COVID cases they they got from the time of the first dose until the second do- dose. Mm. So that takes this whole, I think it's four weeks between the between the two vaccines. These whole four weeks, they uh, they showed 52% effective. Is it four weeks with Pfizer? I thought it was closer to three weeks. Because I thought it was day one and then three weeks later on day 22 yeah. you get... Uh, yeah, I think so. Because yeah. I thought that's also one of the quote-unquote the drawbacks of Moderna that it actually takes four weeks with Moderna to get... uh... Hmm. Okay. And they also showed that the immune response you get after these vaccinations is a lot stronger than the immune response you get after natural infections. Mm -hmm. And the very early indications, so this is not completely for sure yet, that it also lasted a lot longer than normal, your normal immune response. So hopefully we're protected a bit longer against COVID with this. Yeah. But that it might also be beneficial for... 
people who already got uh, infected with COVID to also get vaccinated again because there you, you get a lot more stronger yeah. immune response. Now, there is something to say that if you already had COVID that you would only need one mm-hmm. vaccination because you have, your immune system has already seen it. And then with one, uh, you could get a stronger immune response. Yeah. But until they really pro- yeah. pr- prove that... Like, yeah, that's not really been shown yet. Uh, no, yeah. I would just recommend getting both. Yeah. You might have a bit more of a, of a sick reaction to it because mm-hmm. your immune system has already been primed. But that only means that you're more protected afterwards. So Yeah. I would just I would take it if I would have had Corona. Uh, Pfizer is also working on a I think also Moderna are now working on booster vaccines to of course mm. after a while boost your immunity again and also include different uh, different variants. So they're still working on it. Now Moderna clinical trials they tested actually three doses. They had a twenty five mic twenty five microgram, a hundred microgram, and a two hundred fifty microgram. They chose in the end the hundred microgram. So Pfizer vaccine chose the 30 microgram and Moderna chose the 100 microgram. So they have a bit higher uh, doses. They also had sort of the same side effect that they found, like fatigue, chills, headache, muscle aches, redness in the arm. They only found fevers though with the second dose. So again, the second dose had a bit worse side effect than the first one. Um, and they found a bit too much side effects with the 250 microgram mm. dose. So like the fever. One person had a fever above 39 degrees, and this was just cutoff point for them to choose the 100 microgram. And they actually measured already antibody response after 15 days. I think for Pfizer it was 21 days for the antibodies, and but in Moderna it was 15 days. And also for Moderna, you just get a lot better immune response in all participants after the second dose. Also after the first dose. Not in all participants, they could measure the antibodies yet, but after the second dose, this was a this was a lot better. So it's really important also to get your second dose because they have been seeing that pe- some people don't come back for the second dose because they feel like they were re- already protected after the first. Mm. But the second one is also uh, really important. Uh, did Moderna also have information on how effective just one vaccination was or the first shot? I didn't read that, no. Mm. Because I guess that's also sort of the thing now with some governments electing, for example, to only vaccinate their people with the first shot, but not the second, so they can get the vaccine. Yeah, that's actually that's actually quite dangerous, I yeah. think, because one, you don't you don't get the full immunity, and yeah. also it's really shown that after the second dose, you have immunity in a large portion of your group, but after the first dose, not everybody had clear antibody signal yet or signals yet, so it's a risk you're taking. Yeah. And you also don't know if your immunity will last as long as they as they shown in these trials because yeah, and I guess it's also still not really known where even if you are because um, now they looked at hospitalization for example or severe COVID uh, symptoms, but if you could sort of be an asymptomatic spreader of COVID while you are vaccinated, yeah, they they don't actually know for sure yet yeah. if that's happening or not. Yeah. Yes. So since they have been using it now, it it got through all the clinical care trials and they have been mm. using it now, they found another allergic reaction that some people have. And this is probably against the lipid nanoparticles. And then either the packed lipids, the stabilizing lipids, mm. or the ionizable lipids might might be causing this. And it's often found in people that already have a lot of um, allergic, reactions. allergic reactions to other medicines or to other vaccines. Mm. However, it is quite treatable 
because it's just an allergic response and you can of course it's quite intense if you have to go through it mm. but it's not for example like the 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 Johnson Johnson and the um AstraZeneca where it takes a bit for it to develop so it's in the first 15 to 30 minutes you already get this immune response and that's why they give these vaccines in such a controlled environment and you have mm. to sit for a bit where people watch you to see if you get this allergic response and if you get it they can immediately interfere mm. so it's of course uh, a bad side effect but it's treatable yeah. so that's really nice but it, they also probably didn't really see it that much in their clinical trials i would imagine no they didn't i think pfizer had something like thirty thousand in their first phase three clinical trials and later they did the big study with israel and i think by then they did know about it but mm. before no but you always give new vaccines and actually any vaccine in a controlled environment and it's always mm. the case that uh, your gp has to watch you for a bit after they give a vaccination and mm. make sure that you're okay because of also with normal vaccines you can get an allergic reaction that's quite bad yeah for a bit of different reason than with this one because in normal vaccines it's often the egg protein for example that's in there that mm. can cause an allergic reaction in this case this these lipid particles are quite new but um they have been handling it well i think yeah definitely then we also hear a lot in the news about these different variants and they have actually shown that the Pfizer vaccine works really well against the UK variant because they have basically vaccinated everybody who wanted in Israel. And 95 of the COVID cases in Israel this year were the UK variant, but it's really dropped now a lot since everybody has gotten uh, vaccinated. So this shows that it actually works quite well against the UK variant. And also results from other places like Qatar also indicate that with this mRNA vaccines, People are really protected against the variants that are going around there, such as the South African variant and also the UK variant. However, the South African variant, the vaccines might be a bit less effective and only protect for 75%, which is still good, but less good than the 95%, of course, for the, the normal variants. Yeah. So that's not, that's not too bad. And I think after reading about all of this, I'm definitely more excited about getting these uh, vaccines. Mm. I'm so ready to get one. But mm. however, yeah. sadly, in the Netherlands, we still have to wait for a bit. Yeah. It's going so slow. You have a preference between Pfizer and Moderna? I think I already know the answer to this. But... Actually, no. No. Uh, Moderna is a bit higher dose. Yeah, they but they both seem to work. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important part, right? I don't mind having a fever for a day or a headache for three days. Yeah. If that means that I, I can go out again. and. Yeah, indeed. I think it also maybe comes down to depending on the different variants, like you mentioned earlier, that because of the mRNA of Moderna being slightly more or bigger, it covers more pieces, right? Mm -hmm. um, then maybe it can develop, it can be better for the different types of variants depending on what kind of mutations they undergo. But other than that, like that's sort of a potential upside maybe yeah. situation. And then you have the downside again that because the dose is a bit higher, your yeah. side effects might be a bit higher too. But then at the same time, if your side effects are high, are more or like worse, mm. then you also have more of an immune response. So it's all just a, mm. a balancing act. And I think I think Pfizer is doing a particularly good job at being well known in the news and like mm. keeping up to date. And now they're also testing for children and for pregnant women. And also their results are like really nice. And I think maybe this is a Europe thing, but we just hear a little bit less about Moderna, I think. So this is why I've been a Pfizer fan from the very, very beginning of this um, 
vaccine procedure. Yeah, fair enough. And after hearing about these techniques, I thought they were super cool. So Yeah. I think I don't really have a preference either for Pfizer or Moderna, but for me, it's sort of like if I just sort of look at it, I think, well, yeah, Moderna might also be more benefited benefited in warmer climates where it's harder to uh, keep the keep the vaccine cool at those uh, yes, the, yes. really cold temperatures. Yes. Not every uh, site or institution or whatever where you would get vaccinated has minus 80 no, but they're also, of course, there are two other vaccines that are also working. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some side effects, but that might be a, a topic for another yeah. podcast in a future moment. Mm-hmm. But they're also quite okay with normal temperatures. And I think mm-hmm. those will also be sent out a lot to to the warmer countries where they might not have minus 80 freezers yeah, as indeed. much. But in but my my point was more that Moderna has that sort of benefit. That doesn't really matter for us in this case, because the Netherlands, I guess, has the capacity to hold minus 80 freezers well, and you know obviously it's been a bit of a struggle otherwise yeah, we would have all been vaccinated already yeah but i don't know if that necessarily has to do with the allocation of the freezers or policies uh-huh. but uh yeah i can I, it's more that i can imagine that some countries have that difficulty with uh the tools necessary to store these uh vaccines and yeah. th- having that slight dis- distinction between moderna and pfizer might lead to a preference for moderna yeah but you know but it, for what I want in my arm, mm-hmm. I would I would love either Moderna yeah. or Pfizer. I wouldn't mind. No, indeed, indeed. At this point, it's we just want the herd immunity. At this point, like it'd be nice to go back to pre-Corona a little bit again. Yes. Yeah, I I'm since I'm a woman in a risk age, I mm-hmm. would be a little bit less happy with either AstraZeneca, which I don't even give under sixty anymore in the mm-hmm. Netherlands. Or Johnson and Johnson, I think, because I'm right exactly in that risk group yeah. that might have thrombotic effects and adverse effect, and also mm. in my family it is a lot. So I would be a little bit uh, less happy with those. Mm. But I am mRNA vaccine, I'm fine. Yeah, I mean they they did. A, I think that they did a great job at overall just you know all their uh, phase two and three uh, trials and looking at the side effects and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if we want to touch on this already, but. I thought it was actually AstraZeneca that had like a had to temporarily stop temporarily stop their trials because no they, Pfizer actually also, Pfizer but it was it was shown to not to not be to not have anything to do okay. with because I thought it was uh, AstraZeneca that they temporarily had to stop it uh, because they had a very serious side effect that is supposed to be sort of a quote unquote one in a million chance, but if you pay, you're picking it up with Oh, you mean the thrombotic? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. They they actually stopped, but also Johnson Johnson had a pause in their mm. in their distribution because of this. Yeah. But honestly, uh, the fact that we pick up these side effects, mm. while well, in the beginning they were thought to be one in a million, it's mm. now somewhere between uh, one in one hundred twenty five thousand mm. and one in a million because they aren't sure yet. Yeah. The fact that we picked it up so quickly shows that our system works. Yeah. And yes, it's a really bad side effect, mm. but. I trust our system because it, have, it has been shown to work. Yeah, indeed. And again, depending on where you live, how much risk you're currently in uh, to get corona, how your healthcare system is doing, for example, in India, it's really going going downhill right now. Mm-hmm. If I would be in India right now, I would be thinking a lot differently about getting AstraZeneca. Yeah. Although given the, in terms of not getting it or getting it, you mean? Getting it. 
Yeah. So it's really a, a decision you need to make for yourself. But again, AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson are not the vaccines that we're talking about right now in this no, podcast. Indeed. They are a completely different story that we might touch upon later. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I really thought these two mRNA vaccines were super interesting because of the, the techniques behind it and that they're so novel and new and interesting to me because, you know, lipids. lipids. Um, tiny little bit of sucrose, apparently. A tiny little <laughs> bit of sucrose, yes. Very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool vaccines and also so cool that they need so little to work. Yeah, indeed. Thank God for basic research. Uh, Yes. Getting there with the mRNA and the lipid uh, nanoparticles. And people not giving up even after 30 years of working on this. Yep. There are some researchers that um, really, really helped the world. Yep. And that's all you want, of course, as a researcher in the end. Now, and well, funding. You yes, also want funding, funding. would really help. Because uh, <laughs> I think that's also something that we, d- we don't really touch on here, but... The funding for these vaccines really helped a lot in terms of speeding up the process as well. Yes. Because otherwise, in a normal circumstance, without a pandemic, these companies would have had to pay for everything. And, and then they have wouldn't been... have tested multiple versions or no, exactly. so many doses or dosages because mm. that's just too expensive. Then. Yeah, they can't. It's not feasible for them to do it or viable for their company to do it like that. But since there's a Not pandem- as fast, at least. No, exactly. They would have gotten there in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I think the corona pandemic actually came at exactly the right moment, even mm. though that's a bit crude to say, but exactly the right moment for this technique mm. to be developed because they were already almost there yeah. and this just pushed them to to get there really fast. Yeah. But it, it can still be optimized with mm. the lipid nanoparticle no, being optimized for the muscle. And, uh, yeah. It, indeed, it's more like if corona had happened a couple of years ago now before everything was sort of already somewhat set in place, then that would have been a lot worse than it is right now. And that's not to downplay how bad it is right now or anything, but it's more that the technology was sort of put into place by lots of people working hard at this. And yeah, it's paying off now. Yes, it is. So that's all I want to say about these vaccines. Do you have anything else? No, I think uh, you hit on pretty much all the things. I tried, I tried. (laughs) Well, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you found it interesting and just as interesting as I did. And, um, Hopefully we'll see you next time. Hashtag herd immunity. <laughs> Hashtag herd immunity. Bye. Bye.